We're continuing this morning in our sermon series on suffering, how to face trials, how to stand trial, how to suffer as unto the Lord. That hymn really summarizes the entire sermon series. And we are in 1 Samuel chapter 30, starting in verse 1. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1, looking at one of the greatest tragedies King David ever faced and learning from his example, his good example. He's not always a good example, but here he is a good example on how to suffer as unto the Lord, how to suffer well and wisely. And so we're drawing out all the principles we can from this text so that we are prepared when we have to go through trial or so that you can be prepared currently as you're going through a trial. Amen? Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his Holy Spirit to help us. Jesus, you promised us that it would be better for us should you ascend into heaven. You said that if you were to ascend into heaven, that you would pour out your spirit upon us. Your prophets foretold of the pouring out of your spirit. And it came to pass many years ago, and still to this day, we are recipients of your good gospel graces. We pray, Father, that your spirit would fill me this morning as I um, preach the word of God, knowing full well that I'm insufficient for these things. I ask that your spirit would help me. And I pray, Father, that your spirit would also do what he promises to do, and that is to give ears to hear and eyes to see. Would your people this morning hear you, King Jesus, through your word and through your spirit. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. So 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 1. Let's read the word of God here. Now when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day, David and his men and all of their families had been staying in Ziklag, hiding from Saul, ruling over Ziklag, and making forays against the Amalekites. But when they had returned, the Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive the women and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one, but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and sons and daughters taken captive. Now, for anyone who's joining us today for the very first time, we've been looking at this for a few weeks now, but King David and his mighty men returned home after an expedition to find their homes burned to the ground and their wives and children sold into sex slavery by the Amalekites. We spoke about this quite a bit earlier, and honestly, you can't imagine something so tragic, can you? But it gets worse, verse 4. Then David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept, until they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives also had been taken captive, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed. I mean, how do you even find words for something like this? But it gets worse for all the people. The people spoke of stoning David because all the people were bitter in soul each for his sons and daughters. But, and here's a key passage for us, a key verse in our series, but in spite of standing trial and in spite of being in a trial, David 
Say that with me. Strengthened himself in the Lord his God. That is really how to stand trial. That is how to face a trial. That is how to suffer well, to strengthen yourself in the Lord, to gather the resources that the Spirit of God offers us to go through a trial and to come out the other end well. And so that's what we've been talking about this whole series. Um, but before this morning, before we get into our principle this morning on how to suffer well, and we have one principle this morning, which we're going to get to, before we an- answer the question how to suffer well, I want to ask the question just briefly, and this is not what this series is about, but just briefly, why suffering? Why suffering? You know, why does Jacob have to walk with a limp? Why does Job have to lose everything before he gains everything tenfold? Why does Jesus have to have his heel bruised? Why do we have to bear our cross? Why does Peter and the disciples have to give up family and friends and real estate and money and notoriety and name all to then receive it back 100-fold? Why suffering? Why afflictions? Why trials? It's a question that every Christian has to ask from at some point in time. Amen? Why? And the Bible does give us, generally, some good answers for this. There's quite a few reasons why there's suffering in this world, and even suffering for the saints of God. But Paul gives us, I think, the preeminent answer to the question. The primary answer to the question. And it's in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. Read this carefully. I've been teaching on this particular passage Um, This is my second time teaching through it, and I'll probably do it three or four more times because I want it to sink in, and it takes a little while for that to happen. But look at this real carefully with me. 2 Corinthians 4, 7, Paul says this, but we, that's Paul and his companions, and in fact, all Christians, have this treasure. Now he's referring to Holy Spirit treasure, gospel treasure, resurrection power, the life of God, the abundant life of God. In other words, he's referring to the Holy Spirit, God himself in us. What a treasure, right? It's a beautiful treasure. What resources can we have from the Holy Spirit inside us? How can David strengthen himself in the Lord? Because he has the Lord. We have the Lord. That's what God promised us, amen? He would be God to us. That he would be God with us. That he would be God for us. He will bless those who bless us and curse those who curse us. Right? He promises to be God to us, with us, for us, etc., We have this treasure. But notice we have this treasure in jars of clay. Now this is an old-fashioned metaphor. But you can imagine at least what a jar of clay is. It's indescript. It's mediocre. It's plain. It's the jar next door. Nobody's writing home about this jar. It's just a jar of clay. Average. A little less than average. Not strong, pretty fragile, right? Made out of mud, right? I think, I think. We have some potters in the class, they could, in, the, in the church here, they could help us. But generally made out of mud, jar of clay. Treasure in the jar of clay. Now, you can see the picture here. When you look at it on the surface, ah, fragile, weak, easily breakable. But inside of it, treasure, unimaginably powerful Treasure, loving treasure, the spirit of God in a jar of clay. Why does God do this? Why not come to earth and display your might and your power? Why hide in a jar of clay? Why do this? Why speak through feeble preachers 
Why not send angels to preach to this church? Why does he do this? Why do the people of God have to walk with a limp, Jacob? Why does Jesus have to have his heel bruised? Why do we suffer? Why is this particular portion of history like this? There's a lot of reasons. Okay, One is to humble the proud and to confuse the wise and to stumble those who are hot shots and, and big shots. That's one of the particular reasons, but that doesn't help us too much this morning. The reason is, you can see it right here in the passage, to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not us. You see, no one's going to make the mistake of giving the jar of clay the credit. Well, we know he didn't do it. He's this, he's that, right? By the time you come to the end of your life, and all those works which were ordained for you to walk in before the foundation of the world, you've accomplished them, and you, your life bears much fruit, no one is going to look around and say, well, they did it. Because the whole time, God's made you a jar of clay. You see that? So that you can go to your grave and you can go to your eternal destiny to be with Jesus Christ forever and ever awaiting the resurrection where we will stand foot again in a new heavens and new earth. And you can know the whole time, I didn't deserve it. I didn't earn it. It was totally of mercy, totally of love, totally of grace. God did it. When we as a corporate body, the church globally, looks back over the course of all of human history, we will be able to say, we didn't do it. That's the primary reason that we are weak and frail and foolish to the world. Just jars of clay. Now the world and the apostate church, those are the two great enemies of the people of God since the book of Genesis all the way to the book of Revelation and still today. The world and the apostate church. What the book of Revelation calls the sea, the beast of the sea and the beast of the earth. Don't worry about that. But the two great enemies of the church... They look at you, indescript, mediocre, made out of mud, dull, and they say, vessel of wrath. So that's what Paul is alluding to here. In another passage in the book of Romans, he refers to a vessel of wrath. It's a jar of wrath, a clay pot of wrath. To the world and the, and the apostate church, the enemies of the people of God, look at your jar of clay status, maligned, right? marginalized nobodies, and say, that's evidence that you're a vessel of wrath, that you're not on the right side of history, that you're not on God's team, that God hasn't blessed you. Now, you know, God willing, by the grace of God, there's a treasure that they don't see, right? There's a destiny that they don't see. There's a victory that they don't get, but they don't know that. They don't see it. All they see is the outside, All they see are the circumstances in your life. All they see is the limp, right? All they see is the bruised heel. They don't see the crushed head, okay? Now, what's a a vessel of wrath? It's very important. (laughs) And honestly, I don't really know, okay? I I need to study more about the jars and the clays and the pots and the vessels. And I have some good books at home to work through on this. But I have a, I think I have what is an educated... And a great guess. And that is a vessel that God forms and fashions and makes in order to demonstrate his wrath. Now we know this from the book of Romans. He says he made up Pharaoh. He brought up Pharaoh so that he could use Pharaoh to demonstrate his wrath and his terror against sin. If you ever want to know what God feels about rebellious nations, read the book of Exodus. 
If you ever want to know what God feels about rebellious gods and rebellious people enslaving the people of God, read the book of Exodus. The whole book of Exodus is like God took up a pot in his hand and was like, oh, you think I'm mad? Oh, no, I'm this mad. And you're like, whoa, he's mad. You see, it demonstrates his wrath. Otherwise, all we have is him telling us he's angry with sin. But he makes a pot. It looks like a jar of clay. And then he smashes it. And you say, God hates sin. It is a terrible thing to fall into the hands of an angry God. And how many of us know people, know nations, know kingdoms that God raised up just to take down? That is how he works in this world. But also, he has jars of clay. They look similar. The difference is, one's got treasure in it and the other doesn't. You see? So the next time you're angry in your home at your husband or your wife and you think, I need to demonstrate how angry I am. Don't do that. <laughs> don't look around for a dish so that you can demonstrate just how angry you are. Because the wrath of man does not work the righteousness of God. Amen? But God's wrath is righteous and just. And it's not a temper tantrum. Amen? And he doesn't just need a nap. No, it's real hot wrath against man. But that is not what we are under, for we are no under no longer under the condemnation of the law. For Jesus Christ has atoned for our sins, and so we have no need to fear wrath, the sickness, the suffering, the trial, the slanders, the bruised heel, the limp, is not God punishing you if you are his child. It is rather him training you. It's closer to what your coach did in football when he made you run suicides than it would be a judge executing a criminal sentence. You're being disciplined. You're being trained. Trained for your role in this life and the life to come. You're a jar of clay, not a vessel of wrath. If you are. Now, how do we know what David is? Which one is David? Well, we know David is not a vessel of wrath because it says there in verse 7. I'm I'm sorry, not verse 7. In our text, verse uh, 6. David strengthened himself in the Lord. That's how we know he's a jar of clay. Amen? That's how we know. But what about you? Right? When you suffer, are you afflicted in every way but not crushed? Perplexed but not driven to despair? Persecuted but not forsaken? Struck down but not destroyed? See, that's the difference. That's the difference. Can't destroy a jar of clay Because it has treasure inside of it. And that treasure is the Holy Spirit of God who gives you grace to persevere to the end. So when you go through trial, as you go through trial, do you curl up in a hole and want to die? I've been there. I've experienced enough suffering in my life to know the temptations, at least some of them. You know, a, a hole in the ground, curled up, hibernate like a bear, forsake all responsibilities, quit this life. That's one of the temptations. That's not what jars of clay do with treasure inside. Amen? Or do you perhaps try to take the bull by the horns? You think if you can just wrestle this this situation under control, and all it does is take you for a ride. We've we've all tried that before, haven't we? Right? Or do you lash out at others, flail at others? Right? Or do you strengthen yourself in the Lord? That's the difference. Why has he given his saints a limp so that he gets the glory 
but we've got to hold on to him. We've got to strengthen ourselves in him, and he promises us to do that. Amen, Christ Church? All right, with that said, how do we strengthen ourselves in the Lord? Let's look at it. Just a little review. The first Sunday in this series, I told you that we must receive the suffering from the sovereign hand of the Lord. Is the devil involved? Maybe. Is cancer involved? Maybe. Is another human involved? Maybe. But Jesus is always involved. He is the sovereign Lord. And he has this whole world on a leash. You don't need to worry that you're floating out in space, randomly suffering. Your suffering has purpose. It has meaning. It's for your good and for his glory. He is the sovereign Lord over all things. That's the first thing you need to do if you're going to strengthen yourself in the Lord. Hard to strengthen yourself in an unsovereign Lord. The second thing you need to do is open up to the Lord. You know, I like the, the, the hands raised body posture. It says a lot of things, but one of the things it says is, Lord, my life is yours. My heart is yours. If you want to pierce me with an arrow, here's my heart. If you want my life, here's my life. If you want my throat, here's my throat. I'm open before you. I've got no weapons, no negotiables, not trying to bargain. I surrender. This is another way we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Another thing we said is you have to confess your sins. You can't hold back any sins. Open up every closet in your life. Pick up every rug. Pull up the floorboards of your life. Confess everything to him. We also said you need to renew your covenant with him. He's made promises to you. You've made commitments to him. You need to remind yourself of those covenants, and he needs to remind you of his covenants. Amen? And then we said you must petition the Lord in light of those covenantal promises. He has given you promises. They are in the Bible. There's hundreds of them. I hope you know them. Right? And you petition him... For those promises, he's promised us health, ask for health. He's promised us wealth, ask for wealth. He's promised you a long life in the land, ask for that. He's promised to exalt you as the stars of the sky, ask for that. Now, he may not give it to you. We're not in the consummation of all things yet. But those are your inheritances. They're your birthright. And he legally very well could give them to you. There's no reason why he wouldn't, except that it's not good for you just yet. But I'd ask. Amen? And then today, and we just have one principle, in times of trial, you must seek guidance from the Lord. He's like, oh, duh, we've heard this before. No, but listen now, suffering and trial can cloud your vision. So remember this, don't just let it wash over you. It's not irrelevant. When you're under something, when you're in something, on trial or in trial, you must self-consciously seek guidance from the Lord. You will be tempted not to. You will be tempted to curl up in a hole and die, grab the bull by the horns. You'll forget to seek guidance from him. That's one of the temptations. And trials can be confusing, right? They're disorienting. You know, which way's up, which way's down? How did I get here? Where do I need to go? Ah. Am I supposed to have the patience of Abraham right now? Or am I supposed to wrestle with you, God, like Jacob? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you know, it, it can be disorienting. And so we have to go to the Lord for guidance. This is what David does. 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 7. Now remember, his whole family has been kidnapped into slavery. The most atrocious type of slavery you could imagine. The whole town's been kidnapped. They don't know where they are. I'm not even sure they know who took them yet. They certainly don't know which direction they went, and they don't know if they should chase after them. I mean, what do you do? You just showed up home, 
and, and, and the Lord had given you so much, and now he's taking it all away. What do you do? It's disorienting. So look what David does. And David said to Abiath, Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech. Now, remember, Ahimelech has been helping David. He gave David the, uh, the illegal sword and the black market bread back when Saul was chasing him. And then he lost his life for being devoted to the seed, to the Messiah's great, 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 great grandfather. He lost his life for it. We'll see Ahimelech in heaven. But his son, somehow, Abiathar, uh, made it out alive and is with David and the true Israel over in Philistia right now. And so he goes to Abiathar. I'm having trouble with that one today. The priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring me the ephod. It's kind of like put on your, your priestly garments. I have an official question to ask God. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord. So he's inquiring of the Lord. Shall I pursue after this band? <clears throat> shall I overtake them? He answered him, pursue, for you shall surely overtake and shall surely rescue. Now, today, we don't go to the high priest with the ephod. We, we don't um, consult the Urim and the Thummim. Now, these are uh, ways in which God spoke to his people in times past. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by the greatest revelation of himself, that is Jesus Christ. And the prophets and apostles wrote of him in the scriptures. And so uh, with the scriptures and with the Holy Spirit that's been poured out to all of us, not just the high priest and a select few, we no longer need the ephod and the high priest. We have Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit, and we have the fellowship of the saints. Amen? But we still have to go to God for guidance. And he promises us guidance. James chapter 1 verse 2 says it. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. You know, various kinds. Our church is going through trials of various kinds. You will go through trials of various kinds in your whole life. For you know that the testing of your faith. Are you going to hold on? Are you going to persevere? Is there some treasure inside? Are you a jar of clay? Or are you a vessel of wrath? We're going to find out. Right? We're going to find out. Are you going to get better or bitter? That's what they say. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. That's covenantal perseverance. And let steadfastness have its full effect. Let it play out. Let him train you that you may be perfect. That means that you may be everything that God's ever intended for you to be. And complete, lacking in nothing. You see what trial is doing for you. You see what it's doing in your life if you're a jar of clay. If you're going to strengthen yourself in the Lord. But then notice what he says next. If any of you lacks, say that word with me, wisdom. Let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given him. You see, we know that this applies in every circumstance. But you see the context now, don't you? This is a promise for suffering. This is a promise for the disorientation and the confusion that comes when life is hard. He says, when you're disoriented, when you don't know which way is up or down, when you're not sure what to do next, when you're in it, ask for me and I will guide you. I will give you maybe just one step at a time, but I'll guide you. Isn't that something? You'll learn walking hand in hand with the Lord by his Holy Spirit that he brings you through the very shadow of death. Amen? But now. Real quick, we're almost done. I've been a pastor now for a little bit, a little bit. Coming on 20 years here shortly. And one thing I have heard over and over again, Christ Church, listen to me. Don't say that you've prayed for guidance 
and it is a settled matter. If you then detach yourself from all the ordinary means that God uses to guide people. You hear me? You're going to go through a trial, and this is going to be a temptation. And you're going to pray. But there's a difference between praying to God for guidance, open, confessing sins, giving your whole life to him. Acknowledging his sovereignty over the whole situation and then going to the priest with the ephod, for example. Right? And then asking for God for a rubber stamp on things you've already decided to do. When you do that, you are going to make matters worse. So how does God guide us today? It's not through the high priest and the ephod. Ultimately, it's through Jesus and the Holy Spirit that he has poured out on earth. Ultimately. But how does this work? Real quick, he leads us through one, one way, providence. Who controls the course of all events? Jesus, who has authority over heaven and earth, who rules over this earth through the power of his Holy Spirit, controls all events in your life. That's what we call providence. We sang a song earlier, I believe, that said, a frowning providence. You're like, you look at that particular circumstance in your life and it looks like God's frowning at you, but behind a frowning providence... Hides a smiling face. You see that? Now that opens us up to the fact that providence is not the only thing you can go off of. Because it's hard for us to read it. Right? We, have, um, we have a closed door here. That's the way, way modern people talk about providence. We got, he opened a door for me. He closed the door for me. So therefore I need to do this. <laughs> Who do you think you are? You think you can read history and read all the circumstances of this world and pull them all in your little database, apply the algorithm and know precisely what to do? No, indeed. A closed door, what does that mean? Oh, it means go another direction. No, it doesn't. It means wait. Well, how do I know which one? It doesn't mean try door number two or it doesn't mean wait till door number one opens. Abraham waited decades, okay? Or maybe it means be like Jacob and wrestle God and kick the door down. I don't know. Which one is it? Is it kick the door down, go to door number two, or wait? Open and closed doors are not very helpful for you. That's good. You take that into consideration. If there's no opportunity, there's no opportunity. If there's no need, there's no need. Right? But you need special revelation. And that comes to us primarily through the Bible. In particular, the law of God, which unfortunately much of the church has abandoned. Really. We must, uh, we must heed the law of God. What is the Great Commission? To baptize them and to teach them everything that I have observed, everything that I have commanded. We're supposed to know the law of God. So parents, if you want your children to know how to live and how to suffer well, please teach them the law of God. It is a good gift from God. It shows us how to live. But it's not just the law. It's also the wisdom of Scripture found in the Proverbs and other uh, other books of the Bible, your children, before they leave your home at the age of 18 or whenever, they need to know the Proverbs. So that when you go through suffering and you ask for guidance, you know the law of God and God's already answered it. The law of God can hem you in. It can steer you left and right. It, it helps limit the various options that you might have on the table. And so does the wisdom of God as well. But is there anything else? Yes, he brings people into our life through which he guides us. Pastors. Elders, parents, all the various hierarchies of our various covenantal relationships. He uses those men and those women. Titus 2 calls them older women. Right? 
Um, other passages call um, ministers of civil authority deacons of Christ. Or we call them city fathers. And if they're godly and haven't apostatized, they would be good to go to for guidance. You have Christian entrepreneurs, Christian um, fathers, Christian mothers, pastors, elders, parents. That is the primary, one of the primary means that God uses to guide you in times of suffering and in trial and in every time. So Christ Church, promise me this. When you go through a trial, and you're going to, that you're going to pray and ask God to guide you. You're going to claim that promise. Promise? And then you're going to place yourself in a position so that he can speak to you. Amen? That is very, very important to go through trial. All right, well, we're almost done. Last thing. Asking for guidance and getting guidance is one thing. But here's the problem. Sometimes the direction the Lord wants you to go in, it's not that it's so hard to see, it's so hard to do, right? And that's what we're going to get to next week. Let's all stand as the worship leaders come forward. All right, good, good. Let's uh, take this opportunity to ask for guidance. Father, we ask that through providence, through your scriptures, through the law, through the wisdom literature of the word of God, through the preaching of the word of God and the teaching of the word of God, through our pastors and elders and parents and older women and older men, through city fathers, through all the various means you use to guide us, I pray, Father, that you would guide Christ church, that you would steer us in the direction that we should go, that we would receive whatever trials are going to come our way, and that you would take us by the hand and help us walk through them. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.